We are in Proverbs chapter 2, and uh, we're talking uh, about fitness of the heart in, re- in uh, receiving God's Word. And um, i got some questions here. The first one, of course, here in Proverbs chapter 2, am I his? Am I, am, am I a child of God? And then what is my judgment on God's Word? Is it indeed, do I recognize it as my authority? Is it the source of truth for my life? Uh, am I storing that away in my heart? Am I memorizing it? Am I meditating on that? Am I storing it away in my heart? And last week we looked at am I um, inclining my heart to heed God's word? If you remember I gave the illustration of a, of a child leaning into the breast of its mother to receive m- nourishment from uh, its mother. Uh, that's what we need to do. We need to lean into God's word. I mentioned the scrip and the purse. That's our sustenance. It's also our, it's also our source of strength. It's also our uh, weapon as we fight against temptation and the wiles of the devil. So am I inclining my ear to hear God's word? And then in verse 2, Proverbs chapter 2, we're going to look at the fifth thing. It says, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Of course, this is how, how do we obtain God's wisdom, knowledge, and understanding for life? And this is what uh, the first nine verses of Proverbs is talking about. And we're doing a topical study on Proverbs. And if, this is still kind of the introduction into what I want to talk about as far as the landmarks of life. So the fifth question is simply this. Am I applying... God's word to my life. Am I applying God's word to my life? First uh, Corinthians eight one says, "Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies." You know, there's um, there is something about the word of God that once you get into it, and once you start studying it, it is intellectually pleasing. Okay, Uh, it really is intellectually pleasing. There's so much here in God's word that intellectually uh, you can learn a lot. You can become quite knowledgeable in regards to God's word. But as Paul talks about here, what happens with somebody who's a know-it-all? They get kind of full of themselves, don't they? They get all puffed up is what it says. They get a big head. But Paul's saying, you know, knowledge is good, but charity, charity is better. Charity edifies. Charity helps uh, build up. Now, I think last week I mentioned that, and we all understand this, we all live in the Laodicean church age, and that's just the environment we're in, and and it's kind of a, you know, kind of a narcissistic age we live in, uh, American Christianity, and we know this, I'm not saying anything we don't know, American Christianity is kind of fat and sassy, you know, we're kind of self-satisfied with ourselves. Um, Revelation 3.17 says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Knoweth that thou art wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. You know, we all we all live there. We're all there. This is this is the spirit of the age, and we have a tendency here in America to think we're all that in a bag of chips. And I love my country, and I you know, and I'm not don't don't get me wrong, but in many many ways, uh, we're kind of kind of like that spoiled rotten kid. We really are. I know I am. I know I am. I confess to that. And sometimes even in churches, you know, we believe more in our abilities, our cleverness, our planning, uh, technology, you know. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but some of these churches out there, they put on quite a light show. Quite a technological light show with worship and stuff. We went to a church a little while ago that was just like that. It had all these lights and... They even had uh, uh, smoke coming out of the ceiling. I mean, it was just—it was quite a quite a display. But um, what we want to be careful of in this age, especially with us personally, and also with our church, we want to be careful that we don't shut the door in Jesus's face. Okay, if you remember in Revelation three, what is Jesus doing? He's He's knocking on the door. He wants in. 
He wants in for fellowship. And we want to be a church that opens the door and lets them in. We want to be an individual that opens the door of our hearts and say, yes, I want to fellowship with you, Jesus. I want to, I want, I want to fellowship with you. So on this next one, yes, we want to incline our heart, our ear, to hear God's word. But inclination without application will do us no good. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? Inclination without application to the heart means nothing. It's like, it's like eating potato chips. They're salty, they're good, but they're not very nutritious. Not very nutritious. And that's the way a lot of people are toward the Word of God. They, they, you know, they love the Word of God like salty potato chips, but they don't apply it to their life. They don't bring it down to where it's real. Bring the, you know, get that nutritional, spiritual nutritional value. So I looked at this word apply here in Proverbs 2.2. 2. It's kind of an interesting word. It means to stretch out or spread out. Kind of like when uh, we would do endurance. One of the things that Heather and Luke would have us do when we'd get started is we'd go through stretching ex- exercises. We'd stretch our tendons and stuff. Because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to do exercise, you don't want to do a lot of walking if your tendons are real tight. So she would, he would, she, they both would have us stretch our tendons and stuff. And, and some of the exercises were kind of goofy. But there was a reason for them. There was a reason for them. So we stretched out our tendons, stretched out our muscles, got them all warmed up before we would get involved in the, in the real exercise and the walking. If you remember, I quoted Psalms 119.32 in the last lesson where it says, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. That's stretching the heart. That's spreading the heart out. So the heart needs to be involved in what the ear is inclining to as far as God's wisdom is concerned. If the heart isn't being stretched, then there's not going to be any understanding accomplished. There's not going to be any true understanding accomplished. And it doesn't happen by accident. You you have to be intentional about it. And it's not fleshly efforts that's going to help you. It's, it's in cooperation with God's Word and, and God's Spirit working in you through His Word. Is, is all of this kind of making sense, what I'm saying? Okay, you're kind of looking at me with wrinkled eyebrows. Attention to the Word, retention in the memory, intention of the mind, the affection of the heart... Confidence in his truth, all of these things have to be involved in, in applying God's word uh, to our lives. All of that is involved in, in applying God's word to our lives, that word that we are inclining our ear to. We need big hearts for God in order to exercise what God is trying to teach us and share with us and show us as far as life is concerned. Uh, Turn to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. That's where I'm going to camp out for a little bit. How can we tangibly apply God's word? How can we tangibly apply our heart, get our heart stretched, spread out, Bigger, in order to receive God's wisdom. Proverbs twenty-two. Proverbs twenty-two. You know, if you pay attention when you read God's word, you're going to discover that God repeats Himself, doesn't He? Because God's a good parent. And he knows that sometimes his kids can be obstinate and stubborn. Forgetful. Forgetful. Yep. Rebellious, thick-headed. So he repeats himself. And so um, I want you to look at Proverbs 22, 
Let's look at verses 17 and 18. What does it say here? It says, Bow down thine ear, and hear the words of the wise, and apply thy heart unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee, they shall withal be fitted in thy lips. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what we're studying about. So once again, he's repeating the very thing that we're studying about. Bow down the ear, incline the ear, hear the words of the wise, apply night heart unto my knowledge. These are basic truths that you're going to read time and time and time and time again through the Word of God. If he if he mentions something twice, what does that mean? If he mentions it more than twice, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. So he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to reinforce a very important truth. So how do we apply? How do we do it? How can we practically apply God's word to our life? Proverbs 22, 19, That thy trust may be in the Lord, I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Okay, guys, here comes something very simple, something very profound. The first way to apply God's wisdom, God's word to our life is trust it. I know. Really? No, it is. Trust it. Believe it. By faith, you trust in what God has to say to you in regards to your life. That's easier said than done. Because we're obstinate. We're doubtful. Come on, guys, admit to it. We have trust issues, don't we? We do. We have trust issues. And we've inherited these trust issues from our mother who heard the serpent say, Yea, hath God said. We have trust issues. There is always a constant debate going on inside of us whether do I believe God or do I believe my circumstances? Do I trust God or are my, is my situation the exception to the rule? Um, do I believe what God says for me to do in this matter even though it doesn't make any sense? We have trust issues. We have trust issues. A lot of us are like Peter. Remember when Peter was in the boat and saw Jesus walking on the water? He said, Jesus, I want to be out there where you are. Jesus, come on, Peter. He gets out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. He's doing really good. But what happens? Yeah, he took his eyes off the Lord, looked at the waves, saw the wind, and what happened to him? He started to sink. A lot of us are the same way. Yeah, we hear a word from God, and boy, we jump out of the boat, and we're going strong, and then all of a sudden, our circumstances, our situations, somebody says something to us in our ear, and we begin to go under. Because we have trust issues. We have trust issues. Sometimes, I mentioned it just a little bit ago, sometimes we listen to the wrong folks. Sometimes we listen to the wrong folks. That's what happened in the church in Colossae. There were some folks that came into the church of Colossae and they started to undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ. They started presenting this other teaching and the people in Colossae were starting to get upset so this fellow went and talked to Apostle Paul and the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians to combat, to refute this false teaching that these people were coming under the influence of. Same thing happens to us. Sometimes we get under some bad teaching. And because of that bad teaching, we have trust issues. Colossians 2, 6 through 7, Paul writes, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. 
rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. That's why I use this illustration of the poorly drawn foot walking along the path. Does it? Okay, good. Yeah, I, uh, I think he's got fallen arches, but anyway. But that, that's, that's where most... Huh? Oh, there you go. But here's the curious thing about us. We believed, trusted in what God's word had to say in regard to our salvation. Right? That incredible work of God that Jesus took our sin upon himself and gave to us his righteousness. Now stop and think about that, guys. That's pretty incredible to believe. That's pretty incredible. And all that requires of us is to believe that Jesus did that for us. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I was raised in a works-based religion. And I was always taught that as long as I'm a good person, I'll make it. But when somebody told me that Jesus Christ did it all for me, at first I was resistant to that. But the more they showed me from God's word that that's exactly what Jesus did, I was just absolutely amazed. He did that for me? We believe that, don't we? We believe that. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9 says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are, in, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, Whom, having not seen, ye love... In whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Each of us who have believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior now have eternal life, but yet has any of us in this room ever seen Jesus personally? Has any of us in this room ever heard Jesus speak to us personally? Has any of us in this room ever touched Jesus physically? But yet we believe. Right? Remember what Jesus told Thomas? Blessed are those who have never seen me, yet believe. That's you and me. That's you and me. Why do we believe? Because we believe what was written of him. Right? We believe what was written of him. We read what it was what it said of him and it's uh, what we read what was said of him that's what we believed for our salvation. As incredible as that is. Okay, so what's the problem with us believing what it says about our life after salvation? Yeah, we have trust issues. Yeah, we believe him for our salvation, but what about the rest of our life? Is he not the same God? Is it not the same promises? Is his truth not truth? That's why Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk. I received Christ Jesus by faith, so therefore I now walk with Jesus by faith. See, God's truth is written to us not just to fill our heads with stuff... God's truth is written for us to experience his truth in our life. 
And the only way we will experience truth in our life is by trusting in that truth. In spite of what our eyes and our senses tell us. One day, Jesus was uh, speaking in John chapter 8, verses 30 through 32. And he says, I spake these, and he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. Right? And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's experiencing the truth of God in your life. It brings liberty. It brings freedom. You know, a lot of experience that God's people have is nothing more than coming to church, and they give their money, and they listen to preaching, and they might get involved in an activity here or there. But in regards to experiencing God's truth in their life, there seems to be a disconnect. And that disconnect is they don't trust God's word enough to believe it in their life. To apply it to those situations and circumstances in life. We assent to the truth, but we do not consent to the truth. Yep, that's God's word. I believe it. I, I, I sure do. I believe it. But when it comes to actually applying it to your situation, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust God's word for that. Second Timothy 1 7 says, For God had given hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. See, that speaks to me personally because I'll confess with you, I'm open about this. One of the things that I wrestle with is fear. You know, insecurities. Things like that. So I can either believe God's word and apply it to my life or I can remain a prisoner to my fears and my insecurities. I can either walk by faith or not. Another occasion, Jesus was speaking and his disciples asked him the question. This is a good question. They asked... um, what uh, that we might uh, let's see. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus' answer was this: This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in Him. Right. Now, one of the things that Jesus promised me was, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Whether you're in prison, whether you're going through a divorce, whether your kids have gone insane, he has promised to be there with you. Whether you're experiencing prosperity, whether you're experiencing fame, whether things are going good for you, guess what? He's still there with you. That's a promise. That's a promise. That ye believe on him whom he hath sent. See, the truth of God's word is the basis of our trust in God, is it not? Yes, it is. It is. Is not Jesus Christ the way, the the life, and the truth? That's what he said. That's what he said. We trust in the living God as we learn of him, as we incline our ear to the written word of God. And something else is remarkable. 
we have that very same living God living where? The spirit of truth. I've said this before. We Christians are the most blessed people in all the history of mankind. And we take it for granted. We take it for granted. 1 John 1, 6-7 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Do you realize that when you're not walking in faith, you're walking in darkness? You don't want to be there. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanses us from all sin. But when we're walking by faith, we're walking along that pathway of the just, that pathway of the light. And I love this verse because, you know, it also tells me, it tells me that I'm going to mess up sometimes. But yet yet Jesus' blood is there to cleanse me. We are a blessed people, folks. Yeah, we're going to mess up. But I shall never leave thee nor forsake thee. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. You know, so many of God's people have taken the text of the Bible. They know all about the text of the Bible. But they miss out on the life in the text. They miss out on the life that's in the text. You know, back there in John chapter 6, when um, a lot of the Lord's disciples stopped walking with him because of his hard sayings, uh, Jesus turned to the twelve that were still there, and he asked them, Are you guys going to want to leave too? Are you going to want to follow the rest of the crowd? Are you going to want to leave me too? And then, uh, what does Peter say? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. (laughs) You realize that you have in your hand the words of eternal life? The words of eternal life from the living God. And when we apply God's word by faith, that bids God's truth to become fact in our life. And isn't that what you want? I know that's what I want. That's exactly what I want. Even if it means being persecuted for it or being misunderstood because of it we have to come to the place in our hearts and minds where we come to the end of self-reliance and allow God to work out his word in our life as we incline into his word like the, like the child leaning into the breast of its mother We must allow that word to course its way through our life and become reality in in, in our life and how we treat others, how we walk. We have to let those words of eternal life do what they do. And we do this by faith. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Well, that's easy to quote. (laughs) Yeah. Because we have trust issues. We have trust issues. You know, Abraham's a great example of a man who, who did just that. He didn't lean on his own understanding. He trusted in the Lord with all his heart. God told Abraham to do what? Well, that's one of the things. But in the very beginning... Exactly. Pack up everything that you have and go to a place that you know nothing about. In fact, you don't even know where it's at. I'm going to guide you to where this place is. And I'm going to give that place to you. 
Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. God told him to go, and he went. You know, Abraham's called a friend of God three times in the Bible. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7, Isaiah 41, 8, and probably the one that we're most uh, familiar with, James 2, 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God and was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, why was Abraham called the friend of God? Because he believed what God told him, and he obeyed. He applied it. He applied it. You want to be a friend of God? Then believe what God says and obey it. Apply it. Do it. Even when it doesn't make any sense in the face of your circumstances and your situations. Abraham's entire life was marked by obedience. Now, there's probably going to be somebody here that's going to disagree with me on this statement. But I never read anywhere where Abraham argued with God. Go ahead. No, I was just curious why you think somebody would disagree with you. Because of the incident when God was getting ready to wipe out Sodom. Some people would would think that he was kind of arguing with God. Negotiating. Maybe. But never did Abraham ever argue with God. Never. He took God at his word and he walked it out. He applied it. He applied it. Abraham's life was marked by obedience to what God had told him to do. He packed up kith and kin and went out to regions unknown to him. I'm a poet and I didn't know it. That's what he did. That's exactly what he did. But unfortunately, this is where many of us step off the treadmill. Oh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Ah, no, 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 that's, that doesn't apply. Remember when Brian last week, I think it was last week, he mentioned the God card? Remember when Brian was talking about the God card, how people pull the God card? Maybe not. A lot of people pull the God card. Well, God told me that I should fill in the blank. Really? Chapter and verse. Chapter and verse. You know, a lot of times when people pull the God God card, they do it because they're motivated by their emotions. Or the pressure of the situation or the circumstance or maybe it's something they don't want to deal with. So it's kind of an escape. They can kind of get out from under something like that. They don't seek counsel. They don't pray about it. So they whip out a God card. That's not how God works. Now I'm going to share you a, a, a testimony that occurred with us. Some years ago, we attended a church, and I'm not, first of all, let me say this, I'm not being disrespectful to anybody or anything like that. This is, a, this is just what happened. Some years ago, we attended a church that was unhealthy and getting worse. Uh, there was a lot of strife, a lot of frustration, uh, many of the key membership was, was leaving the church. Those that remained in the church were miserable. My family was miserable. I was miserable. It, it wasn't a good environment. The leadership blamed the congregation. The congregation blamed the leadership. And there just didn't appear to be any resolution in sight. My family wanted to leave, and some did with my blessing. 
even some of the pastor's own family wanted to leave and they did with my blessing that's how toxic it was but I had responsibilities I had obligations uh, there in, in the ministry at that particular church also at the time I had very I had uh, feelings of very strong loyalty to the pastor he was a he was a good friend a close friend of mine but I have to admit that I was losing confidence in his uh, pastoring of the church so I was kind of in a rock and a hard place and I prayed and I anguished over this matter for months and months and months um, after a lot of discussions with the leadership of the church with the pastor there was simply no resolving the fundamental issues of our, of our church's problem and I was just simply beside myself I, I just didn't know what to do I went to other pastors outside of the church, men that I respected, men that I admired, and I knew these were godly men, and asked of them of their counsel. So I was definitely truly seeking God's face in this matter. Well, one day in my uh, morning devotion time, I was reading through 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I was praying, Lord, show me what, the, what, what do you want me to do? What do I need to do? Do I stay? Do I leave? What do I do, Lord? I don't know what to do. And he, and he showed me this verse, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now you've got to understand the state that that church was in. The atmosphere had become more oppressive, it was more legal, it was legalistic, it was combative. There were factions and divisions within the church, there was no resolution in sight. My friend, the pastor, was becoming angrier and more frustrated. From the pulpit, he began blaming the congregation for failing him and his church. So there's a red flag. And he began to call out by name those in the church that he felt as though they were betrayers and cut and runners and things. He accused the leadership of insurrection many of his key men of sowing discord in the body I'm not saying this to gossip I just want you to see the situation so when I read 2 Corinthians 3.17 where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty I don't know if you've ever read the word of God and the words just kind of leap off the page see this was a clear directive from God Jeff it's time to leave it's time to leave now understand my heart was torn it really was torn I was really wanting for this to work I was torn but it couldn't have been any plainer to me that this was what God wanted me to do. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. Now understand, I still had obligations in the ministry that kept us there for, I don't know, another six weeks maybe? About a month? Because I just didn't want to cut out on the guy and leave them high and dry that's just, that's just not the right thing to do so I fulfilled those obligations in, in, in what I had to do in, in the ministry there and, and then when those obligations were done I went to the pastor my friend told him 
everything, told him what God had shown me in the Word. And uh, I guess out of confirmation to me, the first thing that came out of my friend's mouth was, I'm surprised it took you this long. So, that was kind of confirmation. I asked him to allow me to at least say goodbye to the, the remaining congregation that was there. And he said, no. He said, just leave. So, at the time, I personally, it's not true of everybody else in my family, but I myself personally didn't know where we were going to go. I just knew that that wasn't the place that God wanted us to be. And so, based on that scripture verse, I was obedient to God and, and left. I didn't pull a God card. Okay? I didn't pull a God card. If you read through Hebrews chapter 11, neither did any of those individuals pull a God card. They all acted on what God had told them. What I'm saying to you guys is this. The only safe ground to walk on this life is what's there written for your life in the Word of God. You deviate from that and you're going to get yourself in trouble. And so many of God's people do just that. If we do not receive God's Word as our authority in life, then what other authority are you relying on? Uh, Psalm 37.23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for, God, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Now, of course, long story short, uh, we ended up here. This was the open door. Right? But believe me, when I read that verse, I, had, I didn't have a clue. I was stepping out on faith. I wasn't sure. But I was obedient to what God says. Now, let me say this. There's a, what is the word? Caveat? Okay. Be careful. Be careful that you get a clear word from God's word. Understand? Because there's a bunch of stuff and nonsense out there that tells you you can trust in dreams and visions and all sorts of occultish things. So be careful. God's word clearly condemns such practices, but yet there are churches out there that are promoting Ouija boards and cards and all sorts of nonsense in order to learn what God's will is. If you want to know what God's will is, it's right here. It's right here. And there's something else that you need to understand. Proverbs 5.12 says, How have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me? That's talking about the pastors. It's talking about the pastors of of a church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now granted, there are good pastors and there are not so good pastors. There are some wise pastors 
And there's not so wise pastors. You're looking at one. <laughs> not wise. Okay. But this is where you have to learn to exercise discernment. Okay? Um, rather than bias or prejudice. But I can confidently say, having served with the pastors in this church, we've got some godly men who really care for this church. And they really care for the people of this church. Are they perfect? No. No, they're men. But they have a heart for God's people. They have a heart for God's mission. Uh, They do. I can honestly say that. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. I know these men personally, and I've seen their walk, and I've seen them under pressure, and I've seen them as we talk about things uh, that are going on. And I recognize in each of these men each of these men have strengths and each of these men have weaknesses and they'll admit to that they'll admit to that but I I wouldn't hesitate to go to any of these men if I need counsel in something and I know these guys well enough that I know that I can go to so and so with one matter and go to another man with another matter because I know their strengths see that's the same thing that we need to do we have to exercise that discernment we have to exercise that discernment and even in seeking counsel from these guys for anyone you know what the very first thing you need to do is pray about it Get God involved in the process. But instead, what do we do? We grab that cell phone and we start punching numbers in. No, the very first number we need to punch in is God's number. Get him involved in the process. Proverbs 11.14 says, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You realize the first counselors you start with is the 66 counselors you've got right here? That's the same counselors they use. If you go to a pastor and they don't refer to the 66 counselors in this book, my recommendation is find a different pastor. how do we apply it? We apply it by trusting in God. See, that's what I did when I was going through this situation. I went to pastors. Hey, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. And I prayed, Lord. (laughs) And I looked. Show me. And when he showed me, I put shoe leather to it. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Faith in what God's word says, in spite of our trust issues, is the key in applying God's wisdom to our heart. We have to overcome those trust issues. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Do you believe there's a God? Yes, Jeff, we believe there is a God. Okay. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let me tell you something. The father absolutely loves it when his kids come to him 
for advice. He loves it. He desires it. Psalms 147.11 The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. Do you realize that the Father wants to be intimately involved in your life? Do you believe that? Then deal with your trust issues. Deal with your trust issues. I'm running out of time. I got a lot of stuff here. One more thing about Abraham's example. Hebrews 11, 9 and 10 says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him with, with him of the same promise. Verse 10, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The thing about Abraham is this. He kept his eyes on something that he never saw. Really? He kept his eyes on something he... I mean, he's seeing it now. But when he was alive, he never saw what God had promised him. He never did see in his day, but he did see in his day. And that's where we have to be. In spite of our circumstances, in spite of our situations, in spite of what it might appear to us in our senses, we still have to believe that God's going to do what God says he's going to do. Even when we can't see it. Faith is the substance of things not seen. Right? Right? So we have to deal with our trust issues. We have to deal with our trust issues. You know, there's an old saying that says, the devil is in the details. And the wisdom whose source is below wants us to fixate on the, minu- on the minutia of this life. He wants us to get all bogged down on the details. He wants us to focus on the here and now. Our troubles and our desires and our hurts and our wants. and That's where he wants us to keep our eyes fixed. But God has something better for us. God wants us to, like Abraham, lift up his eyes and look into the sky and see the stars. And guys, I don't mean to sound like, oh, hocus pocus mystical. But like Peter, if you take your eyes off of Jesus, what's going to happen? You're going to sink like a rock. And that's no pun intended, right? (laughs) No pun intended. Okay, I got time for one more quick point. Turn to 2 Kings 7. 2 Kings 7 is a story of a city under siege by the enemy. There are some lepers that are outside of the city. Uh, God sends a rumor into the enemy camp. They think that the Egyptians have come among them. And so the enemy camp takes off. The lepers... We're sitting there debating, do we stay outside the city and starve, or do we go to the enemy camp and and hope that they'll have mercy on us and give us some food? So look here, it's 2 Kings chapter 7, and verse 8. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went in on went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went to and hid it then said one to another we do not well this day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace if we tarry till the morning light some mischief will come upon us now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household you see what they were doing They came across all of this wealth and all these riches and they were stuffing themselves full and hiding the stuff away. And and yet behind them was a city that was under siege and it was starving. 
Right? The enemy was gone. And they're saying, wait a minute, what we're doing here is not good. We need to go tell the king and the people that, hey, it's okay. It's okay. So many of God's people are just like those lepers. They stuff themselves full with the riches of God's word, but they don't share it. Another way to apply God's word to life is to share those words of eternal life with other people. To share it. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You know, we go through a lot of hard things in life. Some of us. More so than others. And yes, we go through those things and God refines us and God matures us and God teaches us some things. But do you think that's for you to keep for you, yourself, and I? Have we ever thought that what I'm going through, as terrible as it is, might have somebody else's name on it? And that God is showing me what he's showing me and he's giving me grace for what I'm going through now because there's somebody that I can help through that very same thing at some time? And could it be that the purpose of me learning these lessons is that I might be able to minister to somebody else the words of eternal life that God is showing me? That's maturity. That's maturity. Because what you're doing is this. You're taking that knowledge, and instead of allowing your head to get all puffed up, you're taking that knowledge, and by charity, you are edifying somebody else. And is that not the fulfillment of the great commandment? To love God and love others? And isn't that a good way to apply God's words of eternal life to another life? By showing that love to somebody, helping them through that very same thing that God helped you through? That's applying God's word as God's word was meant to be applied. There's a lot of folks out there who don't know Jesus. But we do. What are you doing with that? What are you doing with that? There are a lot of people out there who are struggling with certain things in their life. We claim we have the answer. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? Are we going to be like the lepers and just stuff ourselves silly? Or are we going to come to ourselves and share it? That's up to you. That's up to you. The greatest application of God's wisdom in life is in the fulfillment of the two greatest commandments. Loving God and loving others. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But Father in heaven, it's truth. And it's words of eternal life. Oh, Father, help us to get over our trust issues. And just uh, step out in faith. And just allow your word to be real in us. So that others would see the reality and would come and ask, Hey, what's going on with you? I want the same thing. 
We praise you and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the spirit dwelling within us. We thank you for the word. We thank you for faithful men and women who live out the word and set the example for us. Father, I pray that you would bless us now. In Christ's name, amen.